We say thank you for who you are. Honor and glory we've given unto you, Father. In Jesus' precious name we have worshipped. Amen. Amen. Good evening, everyone. Now welcome to Tribe. For those joining us for the first time today, this Tribe is our midweek Bible study. And we are still on the book of Hebrews. And today we'll be treating Hebrews chapter 5. Praise the Lord. So I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. I'll dive, read through the, the chapter. Then we will begin to take it one verse after another. Praise the Lord. So Hebrews 5 from New Living Translation says, Every high priest is a man choosing to represent other people in their dealings with God. He presents their gifts to God and offers sacrifice for their sins. And he is able to deal gently with ignorant and wayward people because himself is subject to the same weaknesses. That is why he must offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as theirs. And no one can become a high priest simply because he wants such an honor. He must be called by God for this work, just as Aaron was. That is why Christ did not honor himself by assuming he would become high priest. No, he was chosen by God, who said to him, you are my son, today I have become a father. And in another passage, God said to him, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. While Jesus was here on earth, he offered prayers and pleadings with a loud cry and tears to the one who could rescue him from death. And God heard his prayers because of his deep reverence for God. Even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. In this way, God qualified him as a perfect high priest and he became the source of eternal salvation for all those who obey him. And God designated him to be a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Verse 11 says, there is much more we would like to say about this, but it's difficult to explain, especially since you are spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. You have been believers so long so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word. You are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. Solid food is for those who are mature, who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. Praise the Lord. So that is, um, we'll dive straight into, into um, our study this evening. We've been on Hebrews, for, I mean, this is the fifth um, teaching on, on this series. And you'll notice the 
the high priest, the, the, the position of the high priest, Jesus as a high priest has come up in several of, of these chapters. The truth is, God has only desired a relationship with man. And the job of the high priest was to stand as an intercessor between, um, for people, between man and God, someone that would understand how the people feel, someone understand their, their inadequacies and their insecurities. Now, the scripture says it wasn't a job people could apply for. God would choose his own high priest. Now, why, I mean, in the order of, um, by the time the order of the priesthood started, started with Aaron, I mean, people were born to know that, yes, I've been born into the family that will become priests. And amongst them, yes, one will become the high priest. The point is, it's telling us even back then, God would pick from, 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 from the lot. If you, if you look at the, if you study the, from the lineage from Aaron all the way to Jesus came and was crucified, you will find out that Aaron had two sons and they died. Yes, God killed them because they offered uh, uh, wrong fire. And from the other two sons, the priesthood kept jumping from one family to, to another. God chooses his high priest. Now, you see, up to the time Jesus was crucified, the opinions and prejudices of men always held sway in the office of the high priest because they were men, right? But God, the master planner, always had a plan. At the right time, in God's time, he removed the ethnic priests that used to be interface between man and God, and he gave us a high priest who did not ascend to that position just by virtue of the lineage he was born in. Mm -mm. Because, I mean, if you check the lineage Jesus was born in, he is even from the lineage of Judah. But he, he chose one from the seed of God himself. A high priest who would not need a successor because he lives forever. You see, in um, Psalm 110 verse 4, David prophesied, that he would be a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek was the king of Salem, king of peace. And there's no record of his birth or death, right? Melchizedek was mentioned in Genesis chapter 14. And we did not get the order of the priesthood till Exodus, somewhere in the book of Exodus. Now, there's a coincidence that God made provision for the high priest to bless Abraham, who was carrying the priesthood. He was carrying Levi in his loins when Melchizedek blessed him. God had made plans already for that particular phase where it would be from the lineage of Aaron. So Melchizedek blessed Abraham and the, 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 the priestly order started after Abraham begat Isaac, Isaac, Jacob, and Jacob had 12 sons and the Aaron from the tribe of Levi, right? Now you see, God chose Aaron by himself. But it was a temporary position. On and on and on, down the lineage, temporary, temporary. You see, God knew the frailties of man. And the thing is, the most anointed man of God is still a man. 
Aaron was not perfect. The high, other high priests that came after him, they were not perfect as well. That's why they would have to offer sacrifices for themselves first before they would begin to even offer sacrifices for, for the people because they were human beings and they were subject to, to, to the frailties. They were subject to the emotions. They were subject to, I mean, self-preservation is, is ingrained into the, into the way man is, is wired. And, I mean, the Bible will tell you there was a lot of politicking at the time. Even when Jesus was there, it was about self-preservation. They did not understand they were fulfilling scripture, but yes, it was about self-preservation. So, you see, even as people in today's world, you find out that we cause disappointment for ourselves when we try to put a man of God in the position of Jesus Christ. People expect that, oh, because... God has called this person. This person cannot go through the same trials that we 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 would go through. This person has to be has to be um, perfect like Jesus. And at the end of the day, we cause disappointments for for ourselves. You find out that people complain because you see, oh, why would pastor have um, um, why would pastor be favoring this person? It looks like oh. This man has favorites. Before you know, some people are unhappy. Some people think, ah, are you not pastor? You shouldn't, um, they don't expect to see emotions. You see, even Jesus went through the emotions. Even Jesus had a caucus among the 12. There are three. And from that three, there was the one, right? And you see, you see, you see the funny thing. All that while, you can imagine if you, you would want to, to, to evaluate when Jesus had his disciples with the standard of the world today, where we will say, why is he so close to those three people? Then you had James and John, the sons of Zebedee. Then you have Peter. I will remember that uh, the mother of, of, of James and John, at a point, even tried to lobby for the children for positions in heaven. If you study the, 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 their history, James, and, James and, uh, and John were obviously, they must have come from some level of comfort and influence. Remember, John, when Jesus, I mean, during the trial of Jesus, John had the connection to even bring Peter into the, the compound of the, of the high priest. So you can imagine all the conspiracy theories that you could come up with if you begin to look at it from the eye of the world today. You can see room for conspiracies everywhere. Ah, why is it because these people have money, Jesus is dragging them close by? What is it safe? See, their mother has been here. Their mother is always talking. But you see, the truth is, God is perfect and he always has a perfect plan in place, even when the enemy tries to orchestrate a chaotic situation. What God says will happen, will happen. Jesus did not bother. He wouldn't bother about the politics. He did not bother about it. Everything was happening for a reason. And today we learn from those things. You see, and as we learn from those things, we need to begin to apply these things in our lives. The truth is, unless God has not planted you in a place or even in a relationship, 
walking away from that thing because or from that place from that relationship because there's 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 some form of chaos or there's discomfort or there's a storm brewing or there's i mean the storm is raging it's more of a personal loss to the person when god has planted you there and you uproot yourself it's a loss in mark chapter 4 um from 35 to 41 he talked about when jesus was on the boat and the storm came jesus was sleeping Verse 37 says, but soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill, the wa- fill with water. You can imagine if somebody or uh, a couple of them had decided, I mean, I'm jumping ship. Oh, this boat is going down. The man is sleeping safe. Can you imagine? The guy that brought us here is crashing downstairs. He doesn't even know that we are going down. <laughs> He's also sleeping. The storm was bashing the boat. So you see, storms will come, storms will go, wherever we find ourselves. The, 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 devil, the devil is angry, the devil is raging, he's looking for an opportunity. And even when it happens, God always turns it for good. So, I mean, there's always a reason why God leads us to where we are. And since he's not the author of confusion, we should be wise enough to see the hand of the enemy whose aim is always to kill, to steal, and destroy. I mean, John 10, verse 10, buttresses that fact. So you see, when it comes to when it comes to, to life, when it comes to the people who do life with, when it comes to our walking with, for, for God, you see, judgment and criticisms are one of the biggest tools that the enemy uses to infiltrate people and relationships. Everyone has a critical opinion or judgment, and before you know, unity is threatened and relationships are severed. But you know the funny thing? The things we, the very things that we will complain and judge. You see, we make excuses for ourselves, but we judge people in the same situation. We need to begin, we need to think further. From, um, let me go back to, um, Hebrews 5, from verse 7 to 10, one of the many things we need to learn from the passage of, from this part of the scripture about Jesus becoming our everlasting high priest is the fact that he humbled himself and he paid the price. He was born on earth to attain a particular position. He was born on earth to, to, to and he achieved what he came to do on earth. But he did not do it based on the fact that hey, I'm God on earth. I'm here to bless you guys. So everybody needs to bow down before me. You see, he did not rely on the fact of who his father was, but he humbled himself. And verse 8 says, even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from the things that he suffered. So it tells us that Jesus went through trying times. What are we learning from the challenges we are facing. God has promised us that you're lifting and we are being lifted all the way in the name of Jesus. And as we go along in the journey, what are we learning from the challenges, the obstacles, the hurdles we are facing? What are we doing about it? How are these obstacles affecting our commitment to doing what God has called us to do? You see, by the grace of God, His promises will be fulfilled in our lives. But in between, can we put 
our heads down and do what is required of us without assuming. Now, I'll probably be asking a lot of questions today that I will not be giving answers to. But I mean, these questions are meant to, to prick our hearts. We need to ask ourselves these questions every now and then. Can we do what is required of us without making assumptions? If I go back to verse 5 from Hebrews 5, it says, that is why Christ did not honor himself by assuming he could become high priest. No, he was chosen by God who said, you are my son. Today, I have become your father. So you see, at this point, it's not about doing God's work because of what he has promised. Because we know God will surely bless us. He will bless us because he is who he is. But because we want to please him, that is why we are doing what he expects us to do. It pleases God to bless us. So we ought to be willing to reciprocate. We ought to do what we ought to do. God loves us already. And our desire to love him and to walk, walk with him will lead us to work for him. Look, if you are struggling with your work for God, you need to check your work with him. If you struggle to do those things that, 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 that God has called you to do, you need to check your relationship, your work with God. You know, a, a few Sundays ago, Pastor was giving, I think it was um, two weeks ago, Pastor was giving a teaching on why church. And um, before, before, before I dive deep into that, uh, let me just come back to, to the, the remaining verses on Hebrews chapter 5 and, and we'll tie everything together by the grace of God. We'll have the time, right? Um, verse, verse 11 to 14 from Hebrews chapter 5 was focused on spiritual growth. And it started with, I mean, the word spiritual dullness there can be confusing. And if you really think about the fact that the Spirit of God is one. And at salvation, the Spirit of God comes upon the person. So how come the scripture refers to someone as spiritually dull and there's another that's not spiritually dull and, it's, and we know it's the same spirit? It's the same Spirit of God. So how come one is, one is referred to as spiritually dull? So you see, the fact is, everybody has a sword. If you don't sharpen your sword, your sword is dull. Your sword becomes dull. So God expects us to continually feed the Spirit. And how do we feed the Spirit? By His Word, by being in His presence, by cultivating the right relationships, by spending time in His presence. Yes, doing what we ought to be doing. And the more we do, the deeper we go, the sharper we get. You see, these are basics, right? Basics and the spiritually dull person, the, according to the scripture, says you need continuous teaching about the basic things of God. That's what the scripture says, not me. It says the person is spiritually dull when the person needs continuous teaching about the basics. And what are the basic things we're talking about? Um, Chapter the, the the other chapters chapter six talks more about it, so we will not we will not go into those basic things today. But we cannot really continue without uh, mentioning a key part of it, which is repentance. You get to the stage that repentance should not be an issue anymore. Look, God has made a promise through faith, right? I mean, God has made a promise, and by His grace and through faith, we are saved. We are repented, and what is the, 
what, what's the criteria to go to heaven? Repentance, right? Those are basics. So, while we are still here, God has made us that promise that by his grace, right, we'll make heaven when we repent. And I pray that none of our seats will be vacant in heaven in Jesus' name. But in between, what are we doing about it? Yes, we know repentance is necessary to have access to God's presence. But we must grow past that stage. We must grow past the stage of, I want to make heaven, I want to make heaven, I want to make heaven. Grow past that stage to walking with God so we can wholeheartedly walk for him. When he says, when you repent, yes, your name is written, which means you will get to heaven. In between, you need, you cannot just sit down and say, I'm waiting for heaven. If that was the case, God will call you to heaven straight. But God leaves, leaves us here so we, because there's a lot of work to be done. You see, it's akin to, 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 to somebody that, that grew up hungry. I mean, life must have been very tough. And then a breakthrough comes. Hunger is no longer an issue. But you see the person always hoarding. Always thinking of, ah, what will I eat tomorrow? Ah, I have to make sure ah, there's food. Oh. The person, anywhere the person goes, the person is hoarding food. The person is eating till they drop. The fact is, because the fear of what I will eat tomorrow, which was the problem then, is still holding that person's mind captive. The truth is, repentance, yes, is a requirement to make heaven. And God does not want us to remain stuck on that level of everything is about heaven or hell. God has a lot planned. There's a lot of work to be done. And that is what ministry is about. You see, ministry is a, it, it's about the impact we make in the world around us. It's about how we bring about changed lives in people. It's about relationships we build, not just what relationship based on what we can benefit from, but how much we can give how much we can impact people, how much we can bring about changed lives, how much we can impact generations. That is what it's all about. When people are stuck just in heaven or hell, then they are not growing. So this is why we all need to ask ourselves these hard questions. Like I said, I'll be asking a lot of questions. Why do we do what we do? Why do we serve in church? Why are we even part of a church family? We may have come in with the mentality of me, myself, and I, but we ought to have grown into the you, we, and us. See, when I went through, through, through NCR a, a long time, the first time I went through NCR, I learned destiny is not about making heaven. Heaven is a promise that comes with salvation. So it was in my destiny is to make heaven. It is a promise. And by the grace of God, we will make heaven. Destiny is a summation of your experiences in your journey with God, in line with God's will for your life as you walk with him. The summation of those experiences, God is taking you somewhere. Remember, Pastor, when they say, God is more interested in what you are becoming. So for someone to say their destiny is just to be president has missed the mark entirely because, get, okay, the day you get there, after your tenure, you disappear into thin air. Just one of the experiences. So this brings me back to the message from two weeks ago I was talking about white church. And I'll, I'll, I'll dive straight into it. Hopefully we have, we have enough time. And I'll, I'll go straight to the four reasons 
well, Apostle talked about, to celebrate God's presence, to communicate God's message, to educate God's people, and to demonstrate God's power and love. I'll just focus on the last two. First of all, to educate God's people. Who is doing the education and who is being educated? Right? We're talking about, I mean, um, the spiritually dull guys stuck on just that basics. While obviously the mature person should be teaching at this point. So if everybody, the point is, everyone in church a minister. Pastor talked about this extensively um, during the first trip of the, the, the journey. If, if you haven't done the journey, then you should please register. And if you have forgotten about this, then get a refresher course. Because everyone in minister, everybody's ministering. Everybody, the, the world is out there. There's a lot of ground still to be taken. And the goal of this education, from that teaching, he said, to be practical. You learn and do as you have learned. James 1, verse 22 says, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. 23 goes on to say, but for if you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. And on and on. I mean, 24. Okay, I'll just read everything. You see yourself walk through and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. So you see, it's actually, the, the, the truth is, it's actually easier said than done. And that is why we learn the Holy Spirit, to help us to practice what we read, practice what we have heard, practice what we have read. Because the heart of man, yes, is desperately wicked. On our own, we cannot even love people. Especially when we're not getting anything back. But it takes the Holy Spirit. We rely on the Holy Spirit. So, I mean, um, in, uh, to edu in educating people, Pastor talked about three things. The first is not to be practical. Do what you have learned. Do what you have read. Do what you have been taught. The second is be personal. It's good to do the right thing. In fact, you should do the right thing always. One of the things he said that day was, you can do right and be real. A lot of times when people are, they, they want to do right, you find out it seems like they, are, they, are, they become enemies to everybody. But you see, in our relationships with people, we need to always make allowance for errors and not crucify them with these errors just because we want to be right. You know, another thing Pastor said in that teaching was, um, people would rather follow a leader that's always real than one that's always right. And that is so true. You see, I learned this lesson a, 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 long, a, a long time ago, and by God's grace, I try to I try to apply this in everything I do by the grace of God in business, in ministry, friendship, in, in, in family. It's about being real. You can be real and you can be right. Cut the hypocrisy. In John uh, chapter eight, talking about the woman caught in adultery, by law her accusers were right in every sense of the word. They were right. That's what the Lord said. Stone the woman to death. But Jesus showed the woman a better way and her life changed. You see, Jesus brought a better way and she became a tool for God instead of just becoming a corpse after the law had been rightly applied. Yes, the law could have been rightly applied and she would be dead. Instead, she became a tool for God. So, I mean, I'm not, I'm not advocating rewarding bad behavior here, but I'm saying check your heart for the reasons why you are acting the way you is it because you truly want to do the right thing? 
Is there hypocrisy hanging around the corner about it? Have we tried to look at things from the person's perspective? Are you advocating the action to punish that person because you think the person deserves to be punished? Or is it a correction strategy out of love? We can truly be right and real. Would you judge yourself in the same way or make an excuse for yourself? So you see, let's take our time and chew on this on this question. Let's, I mean, go through this question. Let it let let it sink in, and um, by the grace of God, it will, will come out as better people. It will help us make right decisions in love as often as we can. So, and the third thing about educating people is to be positive. There's more to the gospel than to the gospel and ministry than condemnation and judging people. Encouragement and love is a better way. Jesus showed that to the lady that was caught in adultery, and she became a tool for Christ. And this, the, the the second uh, thing I want to talk about why um, GFH from that teaching is to demonstrate God's power and love. From First John 4, verse 19, I, I wouldn't read that scripture for time. You can read that scripture on your own. It says, God has already demonstrated in love for you and I. What is your response? He first loved us. What is your response? From, the teaching, from that teaching, pastor says, meeting needs is done in love. Healing hearts is done with power. And by salvation, God has given us the power to look beyond our ego and prejudices and to act in love. What would Jesus do? That's a popular phrase, WWJD. What would Jesus do? We need to look beyond. So we need to consciously look in the mirror to see where we are at every opportunity we have. You see, a, a physical mirror shows us who we are. I think that was from last week. Pastor mentioned this too. If this camera shows us who we are, but God's word, which is also a mirror, not only shows us who we are, but it shows us who God wants us to be. And God is more interested in who we are becoming than who we are right now. We need to use the word of God as a mirror. And as believers, our actions and words can be mirrors too. We can show people who they currently are and leave it at that which in some cases is actually condemnation. But we will hide under the cloak of, I mean, I'm just doing what the word says. Or we can use the word of God and our actions as a mirror to express love and show people who God wants them to be. And you know what? That's the maturity Hebrews 5 is talking about. It's not about condemnation. Look, if your words happen to bring condemnation. There should be an avenue. If what you are teaching, what you are telling, the life, the example you are trying to give happens to bring condemnation, good and fine. Let the person be convicted in their hearts, right? But there should be a way out. There should be an opening. It's not a case of condemn, condemn, condemn. Maturity means forward movements. It takes, it means taking action that produces forward movement. That you, you see you see that in a lot of that's a major difference you would see with people that truly understand what the word is saying, or people that are just um soaking the word, soak it in, bring it out, and they pour it out. That was one problem that the Jews had. 
it was the wickedness. God said those laws were brought up because of the wickedness of their hearts. Certain of those laws were brought out. The wickedness of their hearts. Well, the fact is, Jesus came to say, look, there's a better way. It doesn't mean, look, what is bad is wrong. What is right is right. But at the same time, when you do right in love, you find out that you, you, you build better relationships. You see, we're we currently on the Traction series. Um, last Sunday, we started last Sunday, and it was about getting a grip and moving forward. So ask yourself again, am I moving forward? Am I maturing in the things of God or still stuck on the level where it's always about me, me, me? What kind of relationship do I have with the Holy Spirit? Now, that is a question that comes with another question. What kind of relationship do I have with the Holy Spirit? Now, if that relationship is good, I pray this good, praise the Lord. Does this relationship extend to people around me? Ask yourself, do I find it hard to love and relate to people the way they are? You see, when I, my early years in marriage, I, yes, I wanted, but I, I felt I could change my wife to, to be a better person. And I was just setting the house on fire. The point is, you cannot choose how people should be because you want to love them. You love them for who they are. You love them for who they are. You love them for all the good. And the excess baggage that they carry, everybody has their own challenges. You love them for it as well. Or else, you need to really check. The Holy Spirit loves you. He loves us for who we are. Can we love people for who they are? Ask yourself, do I find it hard to love and relate to people the way they are? And as you chew on these questions, you will find yourself searching deeper into the word of God. And with the help of the Holy Spirit, we will get a grip and we'll continue moving forward. We will mature in the things of God. And I pray that for, 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 for those that, that are stuck in one, in one, in one, at one point, that are just rolling where there is, there's action, but there's no movement, God will begin to take us, move us forward in the name of Jesus. And I pray for, for those that are still stuck on the basics of it's about just heaven. They cannot think beyond, I must make heaven. They need to, I pray that the Holy Spirit will open our eyes to begin to see beyond the fact that heaven is a promise from God and true salvation by his grace we will make heaven. But while we are here, there's still so much. There's a lot of work to be done. And I pray that um, God, God will take us further in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, um, even as we, we, we've come to the end of the teaching, I, I should have said earlier, if you have questions, please, um, from any of the channels you are on, please uh, post your questions and the, and the administrators in, on those platforms will, will pass those questions on. So we will, if, if, if you have questions on this teaching, Probably, if you have questions from some other place, you can you can post them on, and, and by the grace of God, we will be able to 
to answer the questions. Praise the Lord. And while we are, we are, we are waiting for those questions, Papi is going to join us um, shortly. Amen, Papi. Hola. Uh, you're, you're welcome. Thank you, sir. Okay. Um, while we are, we are waiting on um, our online uh, viewers, if they, if they have any questions, probably we could um, share on a, a couple of things. I'll probably just um, want to get your own opinion on how, how do you manage the fact that the law says this and you should actually do what the law says, right? To be right. And you are caught up in, the, in, in, um, in a situation where in being right, you end up crucifying the person. And in being, I mean, for you to stand up to that person, does it not amount to to um, to um, not doing what is right? I mean, I understand the, the, where Jesus came from. It, it, it was a case of he without sin should throw the first stone, and they were all convicted in their hearts. Praise the Lord! But there are situations where it goes beyond that, especially when it comes to consequences and rewards. Well, so um, first and foremost, I, I don't think that Jesus expects us to operate based on the law in the first place. He, he doesn't, you know, because the word of God says that if he was to mark iniquity, who can stand? So the answer is in the question you asked. Are you there? Pastor? Yes. <laughs> Answer is in the question you ask, and the and that is okay. If you insist to go with the law, let the person that has no sin throw the first stone. So at the end of the day, it's a different scenario where you are training your child, and I see where your struggle is, or where the struggle typically is. When you are training a child, you want them to do the right thing, right? Yes. You don't, okay, let's say a child tells a lie. You don't condone the lie, lie saying we, don't, we are under grace and not under the law. <laughs> no, so absolutely that is not what God expects of us. However, when you are dealing with other people, as you would want to be dealt with, God says, deal with them as you want me to deal with you. Let me tell you a story about a, a friend of mine. You know, years ago, we had made up his mind. We went Port Harcourt at the time for a project. He had made of, up his mind that he was going to go home and deal with his wife. <laughs> you know? Yeah, he was going to go and deal with that woman. Now, then we had a mutual friend who had a word from the Lord for him. And he said to him that, well, this is what God is saying, that I'm not going to stop you from dealing with her, but deal with her exactly how you want me to deal with you. <laughs> so instead of dealing with her, he bought her gifts. 
matter because he wants God to do kindly with him. You know, did Jesus say, forgive us our sins as we forgive those that sin against us? So the 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 level at which um, God will forgive you and deal with you with mercy, the level of mercy you will get is in your hands. It is the level of mercy you deal deal out. So when we uh, I, I, people are honestly able to be merciful when they when they look at themselves. They are very ruthless when they are judging other people. <laughs> people are very ruthless when they are judging other people. But what God is saying is that why are you so particular about the speck in another person's eyes when you have a whole log in your own eyes, you know? And the people that are most critical are the most hypocritical. The people that are most critical, that are that easily spread rumors, that easily talk about people, easily judge, they are the most hypocritical people. I don't know if that helps. Oh, yes, sir. I mean, I, I, I'm happy you, you, you brought that out. Because I mean, that's what I, I, I was trying to say in the sense that it's very easy to judge. I mean, nobody, a lot of times, if I had given the benefit of doubts, has become too much of a luxury. True. See, I, I, see, I know that person. I know that person. I know what I am saying. <laughs> but when we're on the other side, see, you, you know I'm not like that. <laughs> Me, you should, you should trust my intention. <laughs> Exactly, trust my intentions. Not that you have spoken it. You see, that's that's one of the things about spiritual maturity. And funny enough, there's a question here that says, is it possible for someone to be stuck in a state of spiritual dullness and not know it? What will be the most obvious signs and subtle signs as well? From um, from YouTube. So it, it it's I mean, it says by now you should be teaching others. But you find the person, I mean, the most obvious sign. Let, let me, when when I, I first got saved, a couple of times I before I got saved, as a child, I, I knew I knew what was right, what was wrong. But uh, I was saying, ah, if I get born again now, doesn't mean I'll, uh, I won't be able to groove. So maybe I can wait till I'm old and ready to die. Then I just went one again, and I would have had the best of both both worlds. But I thank God for for opening my eyes. I realized that there's nothing there. So it's a case of when I got saved. Sometimes I would want to question: Am I really saved? Soon? <laughs> because it was always about, I mean, the fear of of heaven. Ah, I don't want to miss heaven. The fear of um, the, the, the worry about me, me, how does it affect me? Am I being fed? Am I being fed? I mean, I mean, it, it's, it's a sign of dullness when all you worry about is, am I being fed? I'm not being fed. This is this, blah, blah, blah. Who are you feeding? 
I mean, you come say, I, I don't feel blessed today. Did you come to bless God today when you came with your worship? Or rather, did you come with what to worship or you came so be just because there's this problem that has been bugging you and you say, oh, when I come to church, maybe pastor got the, uh, the Holy Spirit to give pastor a word and it will just be over. And when pastor doesn't mention it, you say, I don't think uh, I'm being fed here. <laughs> when you have nothing to offer. I mean, God, you've been, you've been saved for a while and you really have nothing to offer the ministry. Or you are not willing to offer. The truth is, if you are not willing to pay the price, if you are not willing to um, make the sacrifice, it's a sign of spiritual dullness. When you find it too easy to criticize and castigate, you don't want to give people an opportunity, it is a sign of, 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 um, of spiritual dullness. Because growth in the physical doesn't mean growth in the spiritual. Maturity is a different thing. Maturity is being able to understand. Jesus showed maturity when they were going to stone the woman and he sat down and he was writing on the ground. You can imagine what those people were feeling in between. <laughs> what is wrong with this guy? Is it that he doesn't know the law? <laughs> is it that he's afraid? But that time that Jesus even gave in between, you can imagine how many things came through those people's minds. And that is a teaching moment for them. Jesus was teaching without talking. They were wondering. They were getting answers by themselves. And by the time he finally spoke and talked about the woman, at that moment, the woman would have thought, it's my own finish. This guy that has been preaching love, is he going to help me? It's demonstration of who God is. Jesus, I mean, that is, that is how, by the grace of God, he expects us to be a maturity. We grow. And we begin to move forward. When, like you said last week Sunday, when there is move action without motion, uh, that is dullness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, you, you know, let me let me say um, let me say this. You know, it's very easy to look at the law. I think the law was God's intention. The law has never been God's intention. It is love that has always been God's intention. So when, how did the law come? The law that we know as, we, as the law, as it is. It was man that said to God, we don't want to come directly to you. Exactly. Let somebody be between us. That was the birth of the law. And Moses had to give them the law. Now, when Jesus came and he said, oh, this is what the law said. I don't know what he was writing, but I can imagine what he was writing. <laughs> you know, I can imagine what he was writing. You know, Jesus said, go and find out the meaning of this. I require mercy, not sacrifice. So he was writing, and maybe, maybe this is this is just my mind. Maybe Jesus looked at them and saw one Pharisee, and he already knew what he did three weeks ago. He says he would have written down, "Bloody bastard." 
<laughs> you know, you know, oh, yeah, it was a, you know, because why would that happen? We know what Jesus was writing now. Maybe he was just writing down their names that one by one, okay, you, okay, I will catch you, I will catch you. I don't know, you know, or maybe he was writing something down that he did not want to say. That if he had said it, it probably would have been something else entirely. <laughs> you know, you know how it is when someone has really upset you and you don't want to talk. Then you oh, yeah. It would have been you with that big stone, slept with that one's wife with a small stone. <laughs> they would have been each other's So so when when God says, when the scripture says, who is he that condemns when God has not? He's saying, look at the people that are even condemning you. They are pitiable okay. themselves. So why would you take what they say over what I say? Oh, my daddy doesn't like me. Oh, my daddy say I'm useless. But I am. I say you are useful. So, look at your dad. I mean, I'm, I don't, I'm not insulting anybody's dad. So, it's just an example. God is saying, look at your dad. He's miserable. And I am saying, you are who I say you are. You are great. So, why would you let your dad's opinion or comment or the things he's saying define you and not what God is saying. So at the end of the day, that woman can get up and still live in complete dejection with her head down and in shame for the rest of her life. Or she can get up and lift up her head and remember the words of Jesus neither do I condemn you, and live with confidence for the rest of our life. So that's the bit that we don't talk about. What does the woman do when she gets up? Does she get up and walk around town saying, oh, look at them, they're talking about me. That's the man that held the big stone. That's the one that held the small stone. Or does she receive the words of Jesus Go and sin no more. I don't condemn you. And goes without condemnation. I think that's where a lot of us miss it. Yes, Jesus has said to us, you are free. But we still go around thinking or walking as though we are, we are judged. And Jesus is saying, you are free. There's a lot to say here, pastors. I say. <laughs> There's a lot to say. Yeah. Okay. Thank, thank you, Sam. I mean, for time, we'll just uh, mm. we'll wrap it up. But, but mm. the point is, I mean, we need to we need to begin to ask ourselves questions. Let the word of God be that mirror that we look at. Absolutely. Absolutely. Pastor Sete, I just also, um, I, I forgot to, to talk about the question about spiritual dullness, and I like the way you um, you addressed it. What 
when you are coming to when you are coming to church, who are you coming to bless? Who are you coming to bless? I know a situation. I know someone that something happened in the city they are in. It affected everybody else in the city. People in church called her. But guess what? She got upset that they only called her the first day. Nobody checked up on me the second day. Real life story. She was really upset. So she comes to me. Pastor, there's no love here. There's no love here. I'm like, what? What do you mean? But I called you myself. And you, you called me. Only once. Okay. But this other person too called you. And I know three people that called you. And they only called me the first day. Nobody called me the second day. Nobody cared how I lived the, the, the week after. But I said to her, but this thing happened to all of us. Who did you call? Exactly. She did not call one person. Not one person. <laughs> That's spiritual dullness right there. <laughs> Me, myself, and I. <laughs> Me, myself, and I association. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, sir. Thank you very much. God bless you, Pastor. Thank you for um for that word. So I'm gonna pray over every one of us right now. Father, we thank you. As we go, we ask that your presence will go with us. We may be in our homes, we will be on the road. Let your presence abide with us. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. Amen. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you Amen. and give you peace. Amen. And so shall it be. Amen. In Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed. Amen. Amen. Okay, so God's story house, remember this is our year of lifting. And we are lifted all the way. Amen. God bless you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this. I want to encourage you to share this resource with your family and friends. God bless you.